Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Hello, welcome to After the Bell. I'm Laura, your host. I would like to reiterate what I say in the opening of the episodes, which is if you like what you hear today, please subscribe to the show, rate and review, share on social media, just so that the audience and the community that is part of this show can get bigger and the messages can get out there and the teachers can be heard even more than they are and that their advice can go to where it needs to. I would also like to put out a reminder of my call to action. So I'd like to put an episode together in which I showcase student voice. And the idea is if you're a student or if you are a teacher, that you provide the starting of the statement, I wish my teacher, and then students complete that statement. So it could be, I wish my teacher knew, said, taught, understood, valued, provided, contributed, asked, and anything that would make their learning experience better, perhaps something that impacts their learning or demonstrates the individuality within the classroom and the fact that we are teaching individuals with individual backstories and needs rather than just another person behind a desk. So obviously my mission is to showcase education through the eyes of the individual. And I think hearing from students and hearing their voices on a podcast is really powerful and really impactful. And if we can create more dialogue between educators and those being educated, I'm hoping that we can create a much more fulfilling system and situation. So so if you are interested in doing this task as a teacher with your students or as a student, feel free to reach out to me and email me a sound clip at tutoringbylaura at outlook.com. I'll put that in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. Make sure that the sound clip is no longer than a minute. And if you are experiencing mental health difficulties, challenges, or fear for your safety in some way and need additional support, please reach out to the appropriate channels and I will have a link in the show notes for that. That is not what I'm hoping to broadcast here. I am hoping to broadcast opportunities for development in education and learning and so that teachers can understand their students a lot better. So I have Katie on the show today and we actually connected through Instagram. So this conversation is the first one that we have face-to-face or via screen. Everything else is done through DMs and commenting on Instagram posts. She is a very generous educator. In fact, she gave me a lot of inspiration regarding opening my own Teachers Pay Teachers store. Her own TPT store is really generous and she has some beautiful things and really practical resources for any teachers as well as obviously new teachers that are looking for great resources. So I encourage you to check her out. I will include her information in the show notes. She is a grad teacher. So she finished her university course last year and this year she spent time doing casual relief teaching, looking to get into the classroom next year. And I think the conversation that we have is really important because it has been a long time since I was a pre-service teacher 2007 and I have mentored several pre-service teachers while qualified and 
it is important to remember what that time is like and Katie is really clear about what mentors need to know and the kinds of things that pre-service teachers really require from a mentor as well as what that experience is like and I think it's really important to reflect on that time and to ensure that our pre-service teachers have a really good experience and an experience that they can learn a great deal from rather than feeling overlooked and undermined in any way so this is the conversation I have with Katie hope you enjoy it hello Katie how are you today I'm good thanks Laura how are you good thank you I thought we'd start with you letting me know what you were like as a student Sure, no problem. I think as a student, I was very dedicated and like a responsible student. I always had really high expectations of myself. I always wanted to do well, but it didn't come naturally to me, I guess. So I had to put in the time and the effort in order to get the marks that I wanted. I spent a lot of time just studying a lot of lunch times, just with teachers and in the library. And it wasn't because I had these crazy expectations from my parents or anything like that. They were always proud of me. It was more me putting a lot of pressure on myself and always being disappointed if I didn't achieve as well as I knew I could. Mm -hmm. I think especially in VCE, I felt a lot of pressure on myself, not because of anyone else. So yeah, I was super dedicated and stressed a lot of the time too. Did you think... It was purely personal or did it come from a school expectation, a peer group expectation, even if not from your parents? No, not at all, actually. Even teachers and things like that, they were kind of like, you put in the effort that you want. They never really, at my school especially, they never really pushed us too much. They were kind of like, you're in charge of your own learning. And it was more just like a personal thing. And I'm still like that. I think it's just me being a perfectionist. Like I always have these like high Mm -hmm. expectations. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Do you think that that helped? allowing it to be your choice rather than being pushed? Do you think that was a good thing for you? Yeah, definitely. Like um, if I had pressure from parents and other people, I think it would have made it even worse for me because like there was, I had just like a really bad experience with maths in year 12, for example. And I think I got like a D on one of my sacks and I came home crying and my mum was like, but you passed. Like she was still so happy and so proud. She was like, you've got like above 50% still, like you did so well. And I was just like, oh, but it's like not as good as I I wanted for myself. Like I know I can do better. Yeah. So. Yeah. If you could give yourself some advice during those high school times, what would you like to say to yourself? I think um, I would just tell myself it's not the be all and end all. It's okay to not always do everything perfectly or have everything perfect as long as I've tried my best. And I think I would tell myself to kind of enjoy those years and have more fun because I kind of avoided a lot of social outings and things like that because I was always so concerned with my grades. And I think in your high school years, you kind of have this like set idea or expectation of like what your life has to be. And the ATAR score can seem so crazy to you and can put so much pressure on you and you don't realise that there is a life after it. It's not the end if Mm. you don't get that mark and don't get into that course because there's always a way to get there. Yeah. And I think it's hard to see that at the time because you've been in almost institutionalised for so long, you've been in the education system since you were five, to feel that the culmination of all of those years doesn't have to look the way you think it does 
can be quite confronting and difficult, I think, at the time, especially if you're young, like 17. Exactly. I completely agree. It's hard to see it then and it's yeah. not until later that you realise you're like, I didn't have to put that much stress on myself. I could still be where I am if yeah. I didn't, but you live and you learn, I guess. Yeah, I could not agree more. So what were some of your goals? Obviously, you had the ATAS score goal and, and the expectation in terms of the grades, but what were some of the other goals you had finishing up high school? Finishing high school, it was I always had just like plan of what my life would like kind of look like after I finished. I was mm-hmm. always like so determined on like going to uni for like four years because most degrees are four years and then eventually yeah. going into a full-time job like straight after uni yeah. and then doing all those things like, I don't know, saving for like home and all that sort of stuff like yeah. a house deposit and whatnot. So that was like my, I guess, goals, finishing high school and moving on from that. And how has that gone for you? Are you where you expected to be now? <laughs> no way. <laughs> like I think um, it was a bit of an eye-opener because I was just like, oh, I always had that vision of myself and especially in my first year of teaching, I never expected mm. to do CRT. Yeah. I was always so set on just going straight into a full-time primary position and it wasn't until last year that I was kind of like unsure about what I wanted to do. It was just something like went over me and I was just like I don't know if this is actually where I see myself and I considered doing kindergarten teaching for a while and I actually applied for a job and went to an interview and actually got the job and everything and I was so unsure still that I didn't accept it because I just felt like it wasn't right to go into that half-hearted and not being 100% on that job yeah and that's when I considered CRT and I think it was the best decision I ever made And for a while it was really hard because I felt like family members and just like friends had this expectation of me to go into a full-time job. So I was kind of scared of that judgment and Mm -hmm. I was almost pushing Mm -hmm. myself to take a full-time job just because I felt like I had to. Yeah. And that really emotionally like drained me. I felt really upset for like a long, like a long period of time at the end of last year because I felt like I was disappointing all these people. Yeah. Okay. So when did you graduate or finish? What was the, what was the degree you did? Um, I did my bachelor in education in early childhood and primary and I finished at the end of last year. Okay. So what was your reason for going into that degree in the first place? So I, as a child, I always, like, I always wanted to become a pediatric doctor mm-hmm. and that was because I just love working with kids and I always wanted to do a, uh, have a job or a career where I could help other people. And I had some experiences. I had a younger cousin who was quite sick. She had a brain tumour. And so Mm. from her experience and seeing like so many kids in the Starlight Foundation with illnesses, that was always something that I wanted to do. And then growing Mm. up and going through high school, I was like, oh, needles and dealing with blood and all that (laughs) sort of stuff is not for me. So I was like, what's a career that I can still help people and I can still work with kids, which is where I found teaching. But because I was just still not 100% set on it, my careers counsellor advised me to do early childhood and primary so that I had two options and it was kind of like two different paths that it could take me on. So that was how I ended up in teaching. Yeah. And so what are some of the memorable things for you about your course in primary teaching and, and early childhood? Oh, there's oh, so much. One of the most memorable things I think is just how much of an impact you can make on someone's life and also how much of an impact they could make on mine. I never really expected Mm. them to have such a huge impact on me, but I think I cried at the end of like every placement leaving the kids because I got so attached to them as well and they made such a huge difference on Mm. me and helped me learn so much. 
and just some of the teachers, they gave me some really memorable experiences. My supervising teachers were amazing. So I had some really Mm. awesome experiences. Did you have a teacher that made a really big impression on you that someone that you wanted to perhaps be like as a teacher or would use as a role model as a teacher? I think almost all of my primary school teachers I still remember to this day and I can pick out certain things about them that I clearly remember or loved about them. In high school, I had one teacher in year 11. She wasn't actually like a um, subject teacher. She was just my homeroom teacher. And she had a really huge impression on me. And she really, I think, influenced my decision to do teaching as well. Mm. But she was just really supportive, both with my academic work and personally, like just as a personal relationship. In year 11 and 12, I think especially you need a teacher who you can talk to and you trust and you know just genuinely cares. And she was always there for me to help me with essays and she she was an English teacher so she would always um, help me with like extra feedback and work and things like that. But um, you just knew that she cared and she took the time out of her day to help you and I think that was the biggest thing that really left an impression and still to this day she still makes the effort to keep in touch which is really lovely that's really nice what do you see after being a student finishing university what do you believe the role of a teacher to be I think the most important role is someone who inspires you and motivates you and encourages you and just believes in you when you don't always believe in yourself Mm -hmm. I think that as teachers that's the best thing we can do we can give children so much confidence and just be more of a facilitator in learning so kind of just guiding them and giving them the skills that they need to then be able to become like capable and skillful individuals on their own I don't think we should necessarily Mm. push anything onto them it's good for them to just learn and develop with our support yeah I agree so what was your time as a pre-service teacher like in the classroom through teaching rounds and things like that it was a massive learning experience. It right. made um, oh, it made so much more sense when I actually got into the classroom because you just learn so much theoretical content at uni. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I was kind of like, why am I learning this? Or I don't mm-hmm. really understand the purpose. And then when I got into the classroom, I could see it in practice and I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I can see how that like interrelates, da 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 And it was, yeah, it was really good. I had two early childhood placements and two primary placements. So they were both really different. I had a four-year-old kinder, toddler placement, and then a grade two and a foundation. So they were all in the early years, but they were all really valuable. The only thing was that it made me really nervous for upper primary because I just felt like it was a completely different world. Yeah. So I was kind of worried about that going into a job as well because I was like, oh my gosh, I've only had experience up to grade two. How am I going to teach grade six if that's the case? Yeah. Did you feel you were prepped well enough at university in terms of dealing with those older kids and having the understanding of the curriculum for those older year levels? Honestly, I feel like my course especially was um, more early childhood based. I'm not sure if that's just because I did the early childhood and primary course, but yeah, I definitely didn't feel confident at all or didn't feel as prepared as I should have been for upper primary. Yeah. In terms of rounds, like I know I've mentored teachers in various oh, I'm just hit my microphone, in various levels of their university. And I know some of them come and they do purely observation, whereas some of them are sort of thrown in for five weeks. So what did the rounds look like in terms of time and opportunity to teach? My 
kindergarten placement was actually really good. That was my first one. So they kind of eased us into it. We had one day a week for a certain amount of weeks where we went in and just observed more. And then I think it was a two or three week, I think it was a two week block, actually, my first one. It was a two week block. And in the first week of that block, I observed more and just gathered information on the students through observations and things like that. And then the following week, I was able to implement actual experiences in the room. Other placements I've had, I was kind of thrown in a little bit um, and just thrown into teaching, especially because I went from a kinder placement to a primary placement. So it was my Mm -hmm. first time stepping into a primary school and not really having any experience and have to go straight into teaching. That was a little bit intimidating. Yeah. But I found that that was the best way for me to learn. Just kind of being thrown into the deep end, I was just forced to do it and just take that leap. Yeah. I think in a way, as you say, the longer you spend observing, the more you can kind of psych yourself out of it or something, or you can start teachers and thinking that's how I should do it. And I think that there's no way to teach. There's no right way to teach. And I think sometimes it is good to just get in there and learn on the fly a little bit, especially in teaching rounds. And what were your mentor teachers like? Oh, I was really lucky. I had all, all of my mentor teachers were incredible. They were also different and they all had really different levels of experience, but all were so helpful and so supportive. My first placement teacher was actually a graduate. Mm. And so it was her first year teaching in kinder. But um, she was really understanding and coming straight out of uni, she had really fresh perspective on teaching and also could really relate where I was coming from as well. Yeah. So that was actually a really positive experience. My other teachers, I only had one bad experience, but I wasn't even there for long. It was within one week I was moved, but it was just because it was in early childhood and she only had a diploma. But to count towards my hours, it had to be... I had to be with someone who had a bachelor in education. Okay. But other than that, they were all incredible. So what was it about that experience that was negative for you? She was just, she just didn't really have time for me. She was very negative towards me uh, and it was just almost like I was a bit of a nuisance, Yeah, which made me feel even less confident in my abilities and made me afraid to ask questions and things like that. It's funny because I remember my teaching rounds because I did a dip ed. Yeah. I just did five weeks, five weeks. So 10 weeks of training, one year, and then that was it. And I was qualified. And those five weeks for me, I don't don't think they do it that way anymore. I don't think you're allowed to do it or they don't offer that at least anymore. But I remember those five weeks seeming really long for me and they were really important. And I felt like I really engaged with the kids and I was really integral in the school by the end of those five weeks. And it's interesting because now I've mentored teachers for five weeks and it's like a blink for me. They're there and they're gone, you know, and I still always try and remember how important it was when I was that student teacher because now as a mentor teacher, it's just, you know, part and parcel of your day and they're in, I really only saw them for 50% of my day and yet as a student teacher it was 100% of my day. So I do think especially the the longer we get from that process the more we need to, as mentor teachers, understand what that really is like. And I'm wondering if you can offer any advice or any kind of words of wisdom for mentor teachers just to try and relate to student teachers again. I think the most important thing is if they if they have a choice in taking on a student, because I know that some schools don't give you the option, but some do, I think if you have the choice, 
and you don't feel ready or it's a bad time or anything like that, then please just don't take on the student if you feel that you're not in the right space because it can do more harm than good. I think one negative experience can kind of ruin a pre-service teacher's confidence and even perception of the whole career completely. Mm. And I think I speak on behalf of pre-service teachers, but I think we're all nervous (laughs) going into it and it can be so intimidating. So please just be patient and supportive <laughs> yeah when you're taking us on yeah I couldn't agree more I do think I was really lucky as well I had amazing mentor teachers when I went through my education year but I do remember coming back to university and people having very varied experiences and lots of negative and dismissive mentor teachers yeah that you'd actually have quite a negative impact on the way that they saw themselves and the way that they saw teaching mm-hmm. and yeah, it was it was a bit of a shame as I said, I didn't have that experience, but I did see it really affect a lot of the other student teachers and the other education students that I was doing education with at least. Definitely, me too. I had some other like peers in my course who had really great experiences and then some who had really negative ones as well. Yeah. Do you think it's important to see a variety of different schools and different you know, socioeconomic areas and different clientele and things like that. Do you think that's important in pre-service teaching? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in my course, I think I didn't get enough exposure either. Yeah. Only having two primary experiences. When I started CRT, it was just an eye-opener. I got to see so Mm. many uh, different schools this year and just meet different teachers and schools even within like five kilometers of each other can operate so differently and it was crazy Mm. to me I was like oh my gosh I can't believe how this school has like dealt with I don't know behavior management and it's completely different to another school or just even how the children change from school to school yeah how many schools have you done CRT at this year oh oh my goodness too many to count I think I've probably at least 10 okay considering the circumstances. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's right. Well, I'm the same. I was doing CRT this year as well and it's been very bumpy. Yes, (laughs) exactly. I can understand. And do you think that that's given you even more insight into becoming a teacher and the kind of teacher you want to be than perhaps you had on your rounds? Absolutely, yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. so glad that I did CRT this year because I think it gave me a whole new perspective on teaching and I think it's helped me grow a lot as a teacher as well and I've just learned a lot I've grown in confidence and I've also developed better behavior management skills and I've found that what works in one classroom will not work in another classroom so I've had to try different things constantly. Have you been supported by the schools considering this is your first year or is it kind of just throw you in and see how you go? A bit of both. Some schools have just been thrown in and then there's some that are super supportive and will come in and constantly check on me throughout the day but both experiences have been good it's good to have my own time and kind of just like navigate things on my own as well because I feel like I learn better that way yeah but it's nice to get that support from other staff members so what advice would you give anyone considering going into the course that you've just completed I think um just use all the resources you can I got to know my tutorial teachers really well always put in that extra work, especially on placements. I think it's really important as well to ask questions and not be afraid to put yourself out there and just give things a try. I think you don't have to be, don't be afraid of making mistakes. The supervising teachers and the schools, they're generally more happy if you just give things a try and do your best, even if you do 
make an error or fail at it doesn't matter um it's all part of the process yeah and i think um would be to just like make the most of it enjoy it really take the time to get to know the kids because i think that's really important on your placements as well going into the course and just developing relationships yeah what are the advantages and challenges you believe there are in teaching primary age kids? I think there's so many advantages in primary school. You're helping them shape their identity, essentially. In the early years, it's very hands-on as well. That's what I love about early learning. Um, it's so engaging and you can adapt to more of an inquiry-based approach, especially in early childhood and foundation more so. You can do a lot of sensory experiences, which I came to love I didn't really know much about play-based learning until I did my kindergarten placement and ever since then I'm so supportive of it and if I was doing if I was a kindergarten teacher I would implement it straight away but I think I wouldn't necessarily call it a challenge but I think with secondary students you can develop different types of relationships you can have more in-depth and meaningful conversations whereas with primary school children I think you sometimes have to be a bit more cautious when discussing your opinion or beliefs on certain things because they're so impressionable and they might take things literally. Whereas with secondary students, you can kind of challenge perspectives and engage in those, yeah, more meaningful conversations. Yeah. And I think too, if I consider myself as a primary student, I used to think my teachers knew everything. Yes, definitely. And I do think you're right that they take everything pretty literally, I think, too. Yeah, And what you said is so important. Uh, Sometimes they think you know everything and I think it's really important for them to understand that we don't have all the answers. So Mm. this year especially I've started when they ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'm like, let's find it together. How can we find out? And I think that sets a really good example for them because then they know themselves that they don't have to know everything. It's okay to use your skills to find something out and to show them that we are always learning, even as teachers. It's interesting that you say that too, because one of my friends is a primary teacher and she's been a primary teacher for nearly 16 years now. And when she first started, Google wasn't a big thing in schools. People didn't have phones in their pocket. And she used to say that if kids asked her a question, that she would encourage them to wonder like, let's wonder about that. Let's think about that. She said that now the response is all, always just, we'll Google it. So yeah, how do you think we encourage that inquisitive curiosity while we have the technology at our fingertips? Sorry, I'm throwing you in the deep end here. That's a tricky you know, one. I, I just came up, just came up. I was like, oh, I want to hear what you think about that. <laughs> it's hard. I don't even know the answer. That's, that's hard. Yeah. That is hard. I don't know if it's more questioning children and getting them to just think think deeper on their own but in the early years I mean you can't really google it everything anyway I feel like with the older kids especially in upper primary it's more easier to just they'll be like oh let me get my chromebook or let me get my laptop and I'll quickly I'll search it for you but with the younger years they kind of just ask you and rely on you to have all those answers but oh I don't know that's a tricky one I don't know what I'll do in that situation it is and you might not ever come into that situation or you might just google it you know and that's fine too I just think it's interesting because obviously since I was at primary school it's a very long time ago and god we had those old apple computers in the classroom like the huge did you have those too or is it just them the huge monitors no I I didn't have them but I know what you're talking about yeah that's what we had we had those big monitors and I still remember I was in year 11 when we went to the library and the librarian told us what google was I was in year 11. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. I remember her talking about 
Google. I was like, what's Google? Yeah. And the kids think they grow up with it. Yeah, that's right. So that's the thing. I'm just interested. And maybe we do just need to roll with it. Maybe I'm clinging too much to the past, you know, about not using it. Yeah, no, I think it's important, though, what you said for them to be able to, like, wonder themselves and kind of question things without relying on that technology to always give them an answer because it's just at their fingertips. It's just something simple like getting them to like refer to a book rather than going to the internet. I'm wondering sometimes too if the answer is always that important. And I think sometimes the process and the wondering and the questioning and the skill of finding the answer is more important anyway. And so if we go straight to the answer, that dismisses so much potential learning that could be occurring. Definitely. I completely agree. Mm. What are you really passionate about as a teacher and what do you want to instill in your students? I am extremely passionate about student wellbeing and mental health. I think it actually was my first primary placement that really ignited a passion for mental health issues and especially because I had experiences Mm -hmm. myself. I dealt with anxiety throughout my life and um, I've had experiences on placement dealing with different children who also experienced mental health issues and anxiety was a common one in primary school age children. During those experiences, I encountered some staff and other teachers who sometimes were quite dismissive or treated children who were experiencing those issues quite negatively. It was never my supervising teachers or anything like that, but I often witnessed other staff doing things like that. So I think that's what kind of really influenced my passion for mental health and going into the career and seeing that response from teachers was a little bit disappointing. Mm. And while we're trying to, I think, enhance children's mental health and well-being and their knowledge around it, I think it's really important to also educate our staff. And I think there should be more knowledge and training in that area with current staff and also students in university pre-service teachers I think that that should be a huge part of the curriculum in university as well and even as a CRT I've had experience with student well-being and mental health and I've tried to even I'm only there for a short period of time but I try to implement little things throughout the day to help students and even something small like mindfulness like 10 minutes of mindfulness you can see such a positive impact on students they just focus so much better they have a more positive mood and it, I don't I think it helps even young children in early childhood when I was in kindergarten they just become more agent and autonomous individuals and you can just see such a difference in behavior even and a lot of the time children respond really positively towards mindfulness they love it Every time I do it with the kids, they are so excited. But that's something that I'm really passionate about. And if I take one thing out of teaching, I think it would be to just support their mental and emotional development. If I did that and I could help a child or prevent an issue in the future, then I've achieved my goal. When you implement mindfulness in the classroom, what does that look like? It depends on the school. Um, If it is a religious school, we often, I can implement it through religion or prayer and things Mm. like that. In public schools, I would do, so 10 minutes of mindfulness, getting the kids to just in in the morning or either at the end of the day, we'll spend 10 minutes just doing like gratitude. So like, what are you grateful for today? Or what's a strength 
that you noticed in yourself today, just like reflective questions like that. And sometimes just getting them to reflect on their own strengths or even just challenges they've overcome and how they've overcome it. I think helping them realize those things makes them more confident in themselves because they're like, oh, I actually, I did have a challenge today and they don't see it as a bad thing anymore. They kind of see it with a more positive outlook so that next time when they encounter the same issue, they can cope with it and deal with it a lot better because they know that they have the skills to manage that. I actually want to give you a big shout out because I know that you put up an amazing mindfulness journal on your Teachers Pay Teachers page. So I'd love you to talk a little bit more about that because it was so impressive and I think you put it out there for free for other teachers to have access to. So would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I was in isolation when I was like, oh, I've got a few ideas. I think maybe I can put it into a little book. And then as I was creating it, I just had more ideas coming and more. And I was just like, oh, I've seen this before. I'll do this. And I just thought it's really beneficial for educators to have resources. I think that's the main issue and maybe why a lot of teachers don't implement like well-being and mental health throughout the curriculum. I think it's because they don't have enough resources and they don't have anything to use. So yeah, I decided to create a little well-being journal for students because I thought it would be an easy way for teachers to implement it throughout the day. Plus it's beautiful, may I say. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I spent a lot of time. on it (laughs) yeah it's just got little little activities so they're only short I think that's the other thing a lot of people are sometimes afraid to implement new things because they're scared it's going to take up a whole chunk of their day but you can spend five to ten minutes doing something and it can make such a huge difference and that's what these activities that were in the book were designed to do so they were just short little activities that allow children to reflect basically on their day or their experiences from that day and to just kind of write things. So I've got, what have I got in there? I've got, um, I think there's some gratitude in there. So it's all different gratitude prompts. So it's just helping them think of those things because sometimes they can't necessarily identify it by themselves. Yeah. So it makes them think a little bit deeper about the day. So even things just like, oh, what's something in nature that you're grateful for? So they really have to reflect on things like that. I think too, most people spend more time on that one negative thing than the 10 positive things that happened that day. And I think that that's a really important thing that you're offering. And as I said, the the journal is amazing. It's up there for free. Can you tell everybody where they can get it? Yeah, definitely. They can head to my Instagram page, which is at education. It's edu.ktion. And in my bio, I have a link to my Teachers Pay Teachers page and you can access it and download it for free there. I'll also put that in the show notes as well for anybody that's looking for it because it is an amazing resource. And in fact, I reckon that was one of the things that we started talking about because I said, I love this. I love what you've done. I think that's so important what you're doing. And you actually supported me a little bit on creating some of my own stuff. So thank you very much for that. The Teachergram is an amazing place. (laughs) It is. Which is what I want to talk to you about actually. So how important has that online Teachergram community been for you while developing as a teacher? Oh, I actually only joined the Teachergram this year, early yeah, this year. Me too. <laughs> I wish I joined it sooner. It has been yeah. amazing. I love it. There's so many incredible educators on there and they're so, so lovely and just supportive and encouraging. And I think it's actually a really, it's a really awesome community that we've created, but it's been really beneficial for resources and ideas as well. I've downloaded mm. so many new resources and just seen so many little ideas that teachers have implemented. And I wish that when I was in uni, 
I had access to all these things because I think it would have made my life so much easier and given me so many ideas for placements and things like that. But I think it's, yeah, it's definitely been a positive influence as a teacher. Well, I wish I'd known when I was teaching because, yeah, there are amazing people out there creating these incredible resources. And I must must say there's a lot of primary school teachers on Instagram. It took me a little bit more time to wade through that to get to some secondary. There's a lot of primary and a lot of pre-service Definitely, yeah, heaps of pre-service teachers. I think the only, only downfall of Instagram is that sometimes You see all these beautiful classrooms and these teachers who look like they just have the perfect day all the time. And I think that's probably the only downfall. There are some, I do follow some teachers who are incredible and just show all the real and raw moments. But I think it's also important to not always compare yourself to what you see on Instagram and in that teaching community, because sometimes it can impact you negatively, I guess, because you are not living up to the same standard as someone else. But It is like a highlight reel and we only see what people want us to see sometimes. So I think that's one thing that's probably the negative side to it. The more experienced you get, the more you can see through all of that. Like not to say that it's a negative thing to have it up there because it's amazing to show what great things are happening. But literally you have a windy day. I don't know what it is about the wind. But it ruins it the kids. I don't know what happens. They're coming crazy. You know, I don't know what it is. And I remember someone saying this to me and I said, what are you talking about the wind? It, it happens. Does. And everybody experiences silly things like that. So even if you have the perfect lesson, the perfect resource, it's all color-coded and laminated. It still doesn't mean that it's going to go perfectly. Exactly. And sometimes I found the lessons that I thought, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just do this today. It'll be fine, have actually been more inspirational than the ones that had all the pretty colours and the highlighters and the stickers and all those things. So you never know. You never know. The ones that are always planned to a T for some reason, something always goes wrong. Yeah, you get there and the tech doesn't work or yeah. you know, a couple of kids get called out to the principal and you can't run the group work or whatever. And, yeah, you have to be flexible. And, it's look, it's lovely to see that the resources yeah. are out there and people are creating that community and that's amazing. But, yeah, you do have to 100%. understand that you're the only one living the reality of any of it. That's right. Yeah. So what has the job process been like for you in terms of being prepared from university to take on a job, going to interviews, all that kind of stuff? Thankfully, during one of my units in university, we actually had an assignment where we had to create our digital portfolio. Mm -hmm. We didn't create the full portfolio. It was only, I think, four standards out of the seven, but that was probably one of the most useful assignments that I did in university Mm -hmm. because I actually could use it after I finished. So that made it a lot easier when finishing my degree and having to apply for jobs because it was basically already done and finished and it was one less thing to worry about. Can I ask what's in the portfolio? What is it that they're expecting? I mean, I did a portfolio years ago, but it was literally a folio, a physical folio that I would take in. But it's been a long time since I've gone for a job. So I'm wondering what needs to go in them these days and what it should look like. Yeah, absolutely. I know that some people still do hard copy portfolios, even pre-service teachers that I was at university with preferred to do it like that. Mm -hmm. But they just advise us to do an e-portfolio and I found it a lot easier anyway. I just used Wix to create my portfolio and I just have a a little bit of information about me. I have my philosophy on there, my teaching philosophy. And then I have evidence of my ability to meet all of the ATSL standards uh, at a graduate level. So I have links in there. I'll have a little paragraph for each standard. And then I've got links for each of the substrands. And when you click on each of them, it'll take you to like a Word document. 
and then I'll have my example of how I met that standard. And when would you use that? Would you use that in an interview? Would you send that through as part of your resume? Um, Honestly, I think both. I know Mm -hmm. that some teachers do put it on their like cover letter or their resume so that schools can access it prior to an interview or whatnot, just to learn a little bit more about you, I guess, and see if you're the right fit for the position before asking you to come for an interview. It's also beneficial. You can take it with you to an interview. Just with the e-portfolio, it can sometimes be a bit hard to access or show them if they don't have the technology. Getting it up and running can be a bit of a hassle. So I think sometimes it's better to just have hard copies to take with you in a folder prepared. It's probably just better to be one of those things that's on the resume. Mm -hmm. And what about the interview process? I didn't apply for any primary school jobs at the end of last year. I only applied for kindergarten. So I had some kindergarten interviews and I was not prepared at all. Okay. Why do you feel you weren't prepared? It was my first interview, the very first one, and I just didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. And I went in there and it was about, it went for a while, I think it was about an hour and a half. Yeah. And I was so nervous. So I just felt like I was repeating myself Mm -hmm. and I wasn't answering things properly. But it was actually the job that I ended up getting. Yeah. It was the interview that I felt the least prepared for. So something went well, but the interview process was super nerve-wracking. And I think that's something that they should cover more in university. Okay. I remember we had a mock interview process. So you would go, and I think I had to go and be interviewed by a couple of principals and teachers from around Melbourne. So do they not do that anymore? Not not in my course. We didn't have any experiences like that, but I would have really loved that. I think it would have been really valuable. I would say from my perspective, it was great because you'd sit down, you'd have your interview yeah. and then they would sit there and tell you how you came across, what was good, what was what you could work on. So I definitely think that interview process needs to be part of university because it's, you know, you have your key selection criteria. And to be honest, sometimes I found the educational language to be a little bit confusing in terms of what exactly yeah. they wanted from your answer. So I do think those things need to be taught and at least supported at university. I completely agree. Um, I think that's one thing that would have made a huge difference and made the job process a lot less stressful Mm. if you had that extra support and knowledge about how to apply for jobs and the interview skills that you need. And like you said, just interpreting some of the language, you just don't know sometimes what exactly they want you to answer with. But this year I've started applying for jobs Yep. And just even things like answering the key selection criteria, I'm just lucky because my auntie has been teaching for years as well. So I've had her to go to for help and assistance. So that's been very useful. I think from memory, at least, the key selection criteria does tend to be quite jargony. Definitely. It's just, I think, so repetitive and really lengthy. I feel like they expect a really long answer from you when it could be really short and concise, but I always found it was really hard to look good on paper. I found at least from my perspective, once I got an interview, I could be pretty engaging and I could sort of showcase myself relatively well, but to look good on paper is really challenging. Exactly. You can, it's so hard to stand out. Whereas if they meet you in person, they get, get a feel of your personality more. And I think some people can write really well and others not so much. And then they could meet you and it could be vice versa. You could do really well in an interview and someone else might not do so well. So yeah, it's definitely. I agree. What I will say is I was always told is to make sure you're researching the school and going onto their website and looking at their visions and values and what their 
their objectives are and their plan for the school because the more you can tailor your answers to what the school is actually looking for and to show that you've invested in the ethos of the school, that was always something that I was recommended to do and I would highly recommend it for other people because it's not just a one-size-fits-all answer. You've actually tailored it to that particular school. So that's something that I always remembered and I think it's important. Yeah, that's very useful. I think that would be really helpful for other pre-service teachers who are going through the job process. So during your rounds, how did you develop most of your resources and what kind of programs and kinds of resources did you create? So like my personal resources that I created myself. During my placements, a lot of the time my placement teachers had a unit plan or something that I went off and I, they, my teachers that I had were more than happy for me to use those plans and the activities that they had already set out. There was a few times Mm -hmm. where I asked if I could adapt lessons or change them. And they were always more than happy for me to do that and put my own little like twist on things. A lot of the time I actually found Teachers Pay Teachers really useful. That was a um, website that I used a lot of the time and also Teach Starter. I got a lot of um, resources from that. But I found myself a lot of the time spending a lot of money during university, especially on my placements. I was always paying for things because I would find something and if I knew it was going to work, I was just willing to pay for it and I knew that I was set. I was too afraid of like trying to create my own version or things like that because I I was always on timeframes and whatnot. And even just, I just did crazy things in university like on my kindergarten placement, I spent so much money. I like ordered this <laughs> marble play set because nice. I knew that the kids had certain interests in certain things. So I wanted to implement things that were specific to their interests that I knew that they would love. You're a real teacher if you do that. I do that all the time. I would oh. go out and I'd go through Target or Kmart or a bookstore. I said, oh, my kids would love this. And I would actually shop for the kids yes. I was teaching rather than myself you are you know what you have you are a full-blown teacher if you do that (laughs) it was it was so bad I still do it to this day and I I think I sent my when I was on placement I think I sent my mum to like three different shopping centers (laughs) searching for this specific slime yeah because I knew that the kids would love it and I still do it like even as it just a CRT Mm. I'm picking up books all the time and I'm like oh the kids would love this book and I don't even have my own classroom yet yeah (laughs) It's so Um, normal. It's so normal. I spent so much money in my first couple of years, just exactly that, just creating your little pile and your little toolkit of bits and pieces that you know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that and there was sometimes that I did create my own resources and would make my own worksheets um, on Canva. I love Canva. That's a great tool. So I would create a lot of worksheets and things like that. But even Pinterest actually is really amazing for DIY sort of resources that are quite cheap and you can do on your own. I asked because, you know, even when I first came to you and I said that wellbeing journal is incredible, how are you doing that? And it was nice because we had a nice enough relationship that I could actually say to you, what am I doing, Katie? I don't know what's going on. I'm so old. (laughs) You know, can you help me? But I'm grateful (laughs) for having that relationship with you because there's so many other people out there on the Teachergram who are creating the most incredible things and it's almost intimidating to think, look at what they're presenting to their classes and look at this rubbishy Word document that I'm using. And so I do think it's nice to be able to share how we're creating these things rather than 
paying somebody else to always do it. To be able to share that love would be really nice. Definitely. So Canva, Pinterest. Yeah, 100%. Teachers Pay Teachers have a mix of ones that you can pay for and they've got heaps of awesome free resources too. So that was really good. What is one of the biggest lessons you've ever learned? It doesn't have to be academic. It could be teaching-related, personal, but what is one of the greatest lessons? I think to only make a decision and accept an opportunity if I am truly happy. Mm. I think this year especially as well has taught me to just slow down a little bit more and just live more in the present and stop focusing so much about what I want my future to look like or it ha- like or having it to have to look a certain way. I think especially in my last year of uni, the end of last year, I got so caught up in this picture of what I thought my life would look like and how it would unfold that when it didn't unfold that certain way, I was really disappointed and upset. So I think it's it's good to have a goal and a plan, but you shouldn't make that goal or plan your whole life because you almost develop like tunnel vision. And then when something goes wrong, you don't know where to go from there. And I think too, you need to acknowledge how brave it is to sit in that uncertainty. You know, you could have taken that job. You could have done what you thought everybody expected you to do. And instead you were honoring how you felt about it. You were honoring the fact that it didn't quite feel right. And that's a really brave thing to do. I don't know, to be honest, you know, in my early twenties, if I would have made the same decision, I think I probably would have taken the job. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, And for so long, I was so conflicted in my own emotions and was so unsure about whether or not I was just doubting myself and maybe I did want to do it, but I was just scared of change and scared of trying something new. And for so long I sat with those emotions and kind of debated with myself. And then I came to the realisation that I was just not happy. I was like, no, this is not what I want to do. I'm just doing this to make someone else happy essentially. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important lesson that I've learned. And so where are you now? Obviously at the end of last year you decided not to take the job. You were a bit unsure as to what you thought your role in education would be. So what are you feeling about it all now? Now I am happy to go into a full-time primary teaching position next year. I've loved doing CRT. I wish I had more experience this year doing CRT, but the experience that I did have was amazing and got to know some schools really well and developed some relationships at different schools, which was really valuable. It's confirmed my decision doing this this year was really good because now I know that I'm happy to go into full-time teaching and I'm happy that I can go in 100% committed and dedicated and give those students the teacher that they need. And what was it about this year that gave you that clarification, do you think? Um, I think probably just being able to before, like I was saying, I didn't have any experience above grade two and I think that was definitely a big factor in my confidence and not feeling sure about what I was doing. So now having that experience and being able to go into a grade five, six class and actually feel like I know what I'm doing takes that pressure off a little bit. I think as well as a pre-service teacher, you feel like you're not really taken seriously almost because you're not qualified. Yeah. And now that I'm in the staff room or at a school equal to the other teachers, I feel a bit more capable in my abilities. And I think that's what's pushed me to being more comfortable and confident and going into a full-time position now. Yeah, that's great. So last question, what are your hopes for education in general for the future? I think my hopes for education, it would probably be that a greater focus is put towards life skills and well-being to ensure that we're supporting the development of knowledgeable, empathetic and responsible citizens. I don't like discrediting the importance of 
academic skills and knowledge. But I just believe rather than continually delivering content to students, we need to support them in developing their own perspective of the world, I guess. Mm -hmm. The opportunity to build their own opinions and to challenge both their beliefs and the beliefs of others is really important. And I think wellbeing is essential for students to be successful. Their wellbeing influences their academic, social and physical development. It can have huge impacts on them holistically. And I think while we do have some focus on that and we do address student wellbeing and like the development of resilience to an extent, I think we can still do better and have a long way to go. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was really amazing to go back to that sort of pre-service mindset and to really remember what it was like to be so new into education, be idealistic and also nervous and, and all of that. So thank you so much for giving me your perspective and your time. I really appreciate it. That's okay. Thanks so much for having me on, Laura. Pleasure. <laughs> Loved chatting to you.